The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day, for my flesh is true food. And my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. While I was serving at Christ Church in Yankton, South Dakota, I was asked to be on a panel with a number of other clergy uh, as a part of a program that was put on by uh, the monastery there, Sacred Heart Monastery, wonderful uh, gathering of Roman Catholic nuns, very active monastery, the richest people in Yankton because they own the hospital. Uh, These nuns have a program, and they still have it, still going on, of ecumenical dialogue. And the purpose of our particular panel was to talk about our different understandings of the Eucharist. The panel was made up of a Roman Catholic priest, myself, a Lutheran minister, a Methodist minister, and also a UCC minister. But we met briefly before we were to go on with the program, and when we gathered, we realized that we had all dressed as kind of a spectrum of the Reformation. The Roman Catholic priest wore a black suit with a clergy collar. I wore a gray suit with a clergy collar. The Lutheran minister, a woman, wore a very tailored outfit with a clergy collar. The Methodist minister, a woman, wore a very colorful outfit, no clergy collar. The UCC minister wore a polo shirt, khaki pants, and loafers. So we saw ourselves and suddenly realized what the situation was. So we decided we would actually sit in that order And we would also speak first in our opening comments about our understanding of the Eucharist in that order. So the people gathered, and we were there, uh, sitting there in our costumes. And we started, of course, with the Roman Catholic priest talking about transubstantiation. The, uh, The Episcopal priest, myself, talked about the real presence. The Lutheran minister talked about consubstantiation. The Methodist minister talked about a memorial meal. And the UCC minister, after talking about a bit of what the church uh, believes, said, actually, 
I think a couple of friends could just go up on a, on a hilltop with a, uh, a loaf of bread and a bottle of wine, and that'd be communion. So we were all over the place, and we, we laughed about that. We really had a delightful time as we had that interchange. But we were also challenged by the reality that this meal that is so central to all of our traditions could be understood in so many different ways. I think as we consider this text this morning, which is the fourth of five Sundays, if you can believe it, where we talk about bread. (laughs) Becky has to preach three of them. I really feel sorry for her. (laughs) It's a very complicated text. It's very difficult, I think, for us to understand. But I think one of the things that's important to know is that our theology grows out of our experience. We don't establish theology of something and then say that's what we experience. Rather, it's our experiences that inform the theology. And what I hope I can talk about today is a theology that is a part of the the mainstream of Christian tradition that goes all the way back to John in the first century. But I also know that in trying to speak about this, this is not something that can really be explained. Rather, it has to be experienced. Well, today's lesson, as I said, is a difficult one. We've been hearing about the bread of life, and we had the miracle of the feeding of the multitude and the multiplication of the bread and the fish. And now we hear Jesus talking about himself in a way that is really over the top. He's talking about us consuming him about actually eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Uh, The gospel writer actually uses verbs that are offensive. It's to gnaw on something when he talks about eating or to gulp when he talks about drinking Jesus' blood. Jesus seems to be saying, this is so important. I want to offend your senses so you'll listen to me. It's also, I think, very important for us to see that this passage Uh, comes uh, in a a sweep that's in John about the Incarnation. And it begins, if you remember, with those opening sentences in John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in the 14th verse, John writes, And the Word became flesh and lived among us. And Jesus seems to be building on this idea, actually John writing it, of this incarnational person that we know as divine, but also know as human. As I said, this text is uh, is difficult. It's also controversial in terms of its interpretation. Uh, Those who are perhaps more strictly aligned with the Reformation uh, don't see the sacrament in this. They don't uh, interpret it that way. They see that as uh, a violation of the text. Those of us who are perhaps a bit more toward the uh, Catholic tradition, or for us at least, the Anglican Reformation tradition, uh, see the, the Eucharist in this text very clearly. In fact, I don't know how I could interpret it any other way. My understanding of this text has been informed uh, greatly by a Johannine scholar, Gail O'Day. Uh, O'Day wrote an article in the New Interpreter's Bible on this particular text, and if you have access to that article, I would encourage you to read it. It's, it's very, very interesting and enlightening. Well, how do we see this? How do we understand it? 
The incarnation, I think, is at the center of it. Jesus himself is speaking, is referring to himself as a human being of flesh and blood. That's the first thing. The second is, I think we also need to recall that unlike the, uh, any of the synoptic Gospels, John does not have the institution of the Lord's Supper at a Passover meal just before uh, the Passion. This is the place where John talks about the Eucharist. This is where his Eucharistic theology is formed in this great discourse about bread. So I think that's important to see because it's very different than the other gospel writers. O'Day suggests that at this particular point in, the, uh, in this scripture, long scripture section that has to do with bread, John shifts the attention from those that are gathered around Jesus to the church. So in a sense, John is writing to the church in the words of Jesus. Now, some have speculated that John might have been addressing those who believe that Jesus was only divine, that he was not human like you and I, or that perhaps he was addressing some controversy about the understanding of the Eucharist within his own community. But whatever it was, what we have in this section, I think, is a very clear statement of the meaning of the Eucharist. Now, if you're willing to accept that as uh, something that is in this passage, then the question is, what does it mean for us? What might we learn from what John writes? I believe, perhaps uh, most importantly, John addresses the whole idea of his theology of the Eucharist as an intimate relationship between the believer and Jesus. And that intimate relationship is carried on also between Jesus and God. You uh, probably have not noticed this. I certainly didn't. That in John's Gospel, Jesus, at the feeding of the multitude, Jesus is the one who feeds the people. In the Synoptic Gospels, in that account of feeding the multitude, Jesus has the disciples feed the people. So this is a relationship, John says, is between Jesus and his people. Jesus and those who believe in him. Our denomination uh, does not have a doctrine of what happens in the Eucharist. We don't try to explain what goes on when we have this prayer of consecration and we say now these elements are holy and Christ is really present in them. But what we do say is that we believe in the real presence. I think it's important for us to also realize, though, that Christ is really present at other times as we gather for worship. Christ is present in the people gathered. Christ is really present when the word is read and proclaimed. And not just by a clergy, but by anyone who lives and proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, Louis Weil uh, talks about this a little bit in a book that he's written recently. He's a, one of the liturgical professors, now retired, I think. But he talks about uh, how some priests, will, when they're distributing the bread at communion, will say, this is the body of Christ. He said, that is wrong. What the, what the prayer book requires is the body of Christ, not this is the body of Christ. Louis Weil says that distracts people from the reality that Christ is really present 
in this room with us at this celebration, not just in the bread. Not only in the bread. So I think what Louis is saying and what we see, I think, in John is that Christ's presence with us is certainly in this Eucharistic feast as we share in communion, but it's also in the people gathered, in the proclamation of the word, and the good news proclaimed. I remember when I was in college, my uh, Methodist campus chaplain uh, had a group of us together, and we were talking about the different traditions of the Eucharist. And he talked, of course, about what the Methodists believed, and then he talked about what the Roman Catholics believed. He talked about what the Lutherans believed. And then someone, it wasn't me, someone said, well, what do Episcopalians believe? And he said, you know, I really don't know. And he said, I don't think even Episcopalians know. (laughs) Well, I think that's a compliment. I used to be offended by it, but I think it's a compliment because I think what it says is that you have to experience it. This is not something we just talk about. It's not a doctrine that we proclaim and say that you must believe this or you can't come to the table with us. It must be experienced. The sharing of communion is an intimate experience. And perhaps where the gospel becomes the most offensive is when Jesus says, Eat me. Eat me. Take me in your being. Make me a part of you. Take me in. And he also promises that when we do that, that in some way that is a mystery to us, known only to God, we also take in and participate in eternal life. That's now. That's not sometime in the, in the great sweet by and by. It is now. And that's what Jesus invites us to when we're invited to communion. What Jesus offers in this sacrament is the opportunity to be one with him as he is one with the Father. O'Day points out that it's hard to see this as only a memorial meal. And it's hard to see this as just an opportunity for fellowship shared around the holy table. She writes, for the fourth evangelist, the, the Eucharist is a meal of Jesus' presence. Not primarily, if at all, a meal of remembrance. The Eucharist is feeding on and being fed by Jesus. The fellowship derives from the mutual indwelling of Jesus and the believer. And community is formed from those who share in Jesus' presence. She also writes that the way that John presents this Eucharistic theology, the Eucharist is very personal. And that's when she brought up this idea about Jesus feeding the multitude. It was him. He's the one who fed the multitude. And then she went on to to warn, and this is a warning for many churches, including the Episcopal Church, that we tend to elevate the importance of the presider. And I think that has happened over the years. And Louis Wilde talks about this as well how the Middle Ages really was a development of liturgical style that brought more and more attention and power and authority to the clergy. And I think there's truth in that. In fact, he argues for a very, very simple celebration of the Eucharist on the part of the presider. I would point out, if you don't know it, that Episcopal priests can't celebrate the Eucharist alone. 
other people must be with us in order for us to have a Eucharistic celebration. I think the other thing that's so important to know is that priests can't do anything magic with bread and wine. We stand at the altar and pray the prayer. We, we say the words that are your prayer, that is your prayer. The prayer that you pray that consecrates bread and wine. The prayer that makes present the reality of Christ with us in the Eucharist. So as we participate in this Eucharistic feast, this Sunday and every Sunday, let us remember the presider is Christ. For what we receive is for Jesus alone to give. It is nothing less than intimacy with Christ and eternal life. So he says to us, come, taste, and see the goodness of the Lord. Amen.